Trigger warning, the following episode mentions topics such as suicide and domestic violence, which may be traumatizing to some listeners. Welcome to the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Each week, we bring you discussions with educators on how they use blended, self-paced, and mastery-based learning to better serve their students. We believe teachers learn best from each other, so this is our way of lifting up the voices of leaders and innovators in our community This is the Modern Classrooms Project Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 109 of the Modern Classrooms Project Podcast. My name is Tony Rose Deanna and she, they pronouns, a community engagement manager at MCP. And I am joined by an inspirational LGBTQ plus activist and mother, Christy Feldman. Welcome, Christy. Hi, thank you. Thank you. Since it's LGBTQ plus history month and national coming out day is upon us, we will be addressing what educators can do to support LGBTQ plus students in the classroom, as well as the importance of an educator supporting LGBTQ plus students. And so I'm so humbled to be in this space with you, Christy, because as I told you before, this is something that's very near and dear to my heart. Um, And so thank you so much for saying yes to the podcast. And before we get started, I know that I'm definitely going to feel really emotional in this podcast, in this episode. How are you feeling today? I'm uh, right there with you. (laughs) Right there with you. Yeah, pretty good, I guess. All right. Um, My heart is already beating and I don't know why. (laughs) Um, Okay. So tell us more about who you are and how you got involved in LGBTQ plus activism. Um, Well, I am a cis hetero mother of nine kids. My husband is former military. I was uh, born and raised into a conservative Christian, um, very Republican military family. And so, so my, my way of thinking was, you know, pretty much along those lines until probably my early twenties. And then I had my first kid, uh, come out as transgender and that, that, that was really eye opening for me. I'd spent a lot of time just not really being involved in anything because it didn't affect me directly. So I was one of those people. And then I had another child come out as transgender. And at that point, it was, um, I wouldn't say that I was uh, involved in activism at that point. Um, I was more involved in protecting my kids from the system that we currently have in our country and in our school system. And then my transgender daughter um, ended her life, and that made me very angry. <laughs> made me very angry um, at the world in general. And she was so afraid of the world in general, and so that's how I got here. That's how I got here, and how I started talking and getting involved and trying to help people understand that we're simply talking about people, not a lower life form, not anyone that's subhuman, but just simply people. Yeah. And and thank you for sharing that, because I think this is definitely an experience that's rarely talked about, honestly. And so you feeling angry at the world, rightfully so. 
um, just because people can be really, really cruel. And when they don't know, they just become so awful, right? Like if it's something that they just have no idea. And, and you said something too, when it's something that doesn't directly affect us, we don't really care about it. Exactly. I mean, I had opinions like, I don't understand why, you know, gay people can't marry. But at the same time, I was not involved in any of that because, you know, it didn't affect me or anyone that I knew, which is just terrible to even, it's, I'm, I have a lot of shame in this area. Uh, that's terrible to even consider that I was like that. At the same time, I understand why other people are like that as well. Yeah, I know um, my experience, I came out when I was 22, and that was just so hard for my family to accept. And um, and it was because they just didn't know, right? And there was just always like, a, we just need to fit in the norm. Like being an immigrant moving to the U.S., we didn't want to stand out. My parents didn't want us to stand out for anything, quote unquote, negative and not normal. And so coming out was just really, really difficult. Um, and you said you had, you have nine kids. Nine. Yes. Nine kids. That's, that's, that's a lot incredible. of kids. <laughs> We're a blended family. <laughs> I love that. I, I love that. I think that's so beautiful. Um, there are seven of us in my family. And so, you know, someone's destined to be gay. <laughs> Right? <laughs> you can't have all hetero kids. Um, and also, Christy, just for our listeners who have no idea what cis means, can you elaborate on that? Cis is uh, short for cisgender. It means that I identify with the uh, sex that I was assigned at birth. So I was assigned female and I identify as female. Beautiful. Thank you. And, um, and so another follow-up question for you, Christy, when your two kids came out to you, how did you feel as a parent slash caregiver? Well, the first time was difficult and that I didn't really know a lot about being transgender. I didn't know what that was. Um, so I spent a lot of time researching and just devouring anything that I could get my hands on. I understood how the church approached it. And like, I'd already reached a point in my life where I was not outright rejecting the church's point of view, um, but deeply questioning so I did a lot of research and, you know, I, I, when my kid came out, I understood already that I needed to be supportive and affirming. This is my child and this is important. And, you know, I always want my kids to feel safe and able to come to me and talk to me. So that's where I was at. I have no idea what this is, but um, I love you. And okay, we're, we're going to start using the name that you want. And we're going to start using the pronouns that you want. And we're just going to run with this while I learn what we're talking about. What is this? I also went through um, a deep sense of loss. Like I, I felt like I was losing a child. This child that had always been my son was now telling me that they were my daughter. And in trying to adjust to that, I went, I definitely went through a grieving process. And in that grieving process, I finally realized that I didn't actually lose 
anything. I only gain. I well, I did lose something. Like I lost the who I thought this person was, and I gained who they actually are, and the ability to get to know them even more, because now they're being honest and truthful and real, which. It's such a gift. It's such a gift to have someone trust you with who they really are. So there was that as well. And then there was a lot of, now how am I going to protect my child? <laughs> like how, how am I going to protect my child from all of these horrible things that people say and all of these horrible things that people do and all of these opinions that don't even matter, but they're still hurtful. The, the words that people say can be so much more hurtful than any kind of physical attack. Yeah. I know something that I always talk about is words have impact. You know, people are always saying, oh, it's just words, but words can really mess you up. Words can really mess you up. Absolutely. And I, you know, everything that you said, the deep sense of loss, like you, lo you lost what you thought that person was, but you actually gained like who they are authentically and genuinely. Yes. And I just find that to be so beautiful. Um, I know that you and I were just talking, I was married to someone who is trans and I really, you know, talk about shame. I struggled with the transition. I struggled with the pronouns change and the fact that I no longer had a wife, but I had a husband. And in my head, I was like, oh, my gosh, but I don't want to be in a hetero relationship, right? And so I, I really struggled with the loss. Um, and I feel like if I would have had a chance to talk to you sooner than later, right, it would have been like I'm actually gaining who they actually are as opposed to losing yes. a person. And so um, that's, that's still something that is very heavy in my heart about just how I handled the transition and how... I could have just been a lot more supportive and not so selfish into thinking like, how is this going to affect me now? And that was like, not a good way to look at it. I don't think that it's selfish, um, especially in a marriage. It's two people. You're sharing a life um, and a transition really kind of throws everything up into the air. Um, and it absolutely will have you questioning your own self, this whole, you know, I don't have a wife, now I have a husband, and um, I don't want to be in a hetero relationship, because I'm not hetero. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm a lesbian, I'm not a, a hetero individual. I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. Um, for you to have those thoughts and those feelings, obviously, you're going to you have a right to your own bodily autonomy as well. And, and thank you for that, because I think sometimes I give myself such a hard time um, about how I handled the whole thing, right? And I need to always remind myself that I need to validate my feelings at that time. Yes. And that was like all I knew at that time, right? And even I, I mean, I lived in D.C. and I was looking for resources to talk to spouses who's, you know, like who transitioned. And it was really difficult to find just even groups to have conversation with just so that I can navigate and, and figure out how to do what I need to do. Right. Um, and it was, it was an interesting, um, scenario as well, because I, you know, I'm a teacher and so was my partner. My partner was also a PE teacher. And so it was really interesting how we navigated having conversations with coworkers as well as students 
and how my conversations really shifted with my students about what gender identity is and what um, sexuality is and all that. And mind you, I, I was teaching middle school, but it was just the fact that like, here's this whole new world that I had no idea and I never touched or talked about. And so I was fortunate enough to be in a school where I was able to have those conversations and my students were really curious about it. And of course, like, you know, meeting my partner at the time, like there were lots of, you know, questions and it was, it was just, it was really an eye opening experience as far as like how schools um, navigate situations like that or even have those conversations. It's really interesting. And those conversations are so important. <clears throat> they are so important. What I've noticed is uh, a lot of like my nieces and nephews, uh, I have some great nieces and uh, like friends with small children, they don't question it. Not at all. Um, Not at all. They don't question it. Uh, when my daughter, Haley, um, said that it was okay to tell you know, these people what her real name was and who she was, uh, these little kids were like, oh, okay. And then that was that. <laughs> there was no struggle. That was the whole thing. Oh, okay. And just move along. Um, it's the adults that tend to have a harder time. I I would have to agree with that um, because now reflecting back with the conversations with my students, because we would, you know, introduce ourselves and then we would have pronouns as well. And they would just be like, why are pronouns important? <laughs> why is this a thing? Why are we doing this now all of a sudden? And that was kind of like a school shift as well. It wasn't just in my classroom, but it was, you know, the teachers all had their pronouns and the signatures and making sure that we use gender neutral terms. Um, and that was like a shift that my principal really wanted to focus on as well, because we had some trans students in, in the school. And so... And, you know, in my head, I was like, oh, my gosh, how am I going to have these conversations? But it was just a really quick, like, two-minute conversations about why pronouns are important. They were just like, oh, bet. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> they just get it. They're like, oh, okay. All right. Makes sense to me. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's like, oh, you want to be, you know, you want to be referred as they? That's cool. That's fine. <laughs> and and they self-correct. And it's just... Yeah. And they correct each other as well. And there's no getting angry or frustrated. Um, yeah. Yeah. I have uh, girlfriends whose children will correct them when they use the wrong pronouns. And I think it's just the most fantastic thing. I was just going to say self-correction goes a really long way. And I think sometimes people are ashamed or embarrassed that they got it wrong and therefore they just don't correct and it's like, no, self-correction is, is really important. And yes, and also correcting each other is really important. And it doesn't have to be a big deal, right? If you use the wrong pronouns, just say like the right pronouns. Oh, my bad, they, right? Um, and keep it moving. There's not, there's really no need to make a big deal out of it. Like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I used your pronouns, you know, incorrectly again. It's like, no, just correct it. <laughs> just Correct it and move on. You'll be fine. Yeah. I don't know if, I don't know, I don't know of anyone with pronouns that wants someone to make a big deal out of their pronouns. They just want them to get it right. And yeah, so self-correcting is, it's vital. Um, it shows that you do know, that you remember, that you understand that it's important and that you're trying. 
And that's so important to the people that you're speaking to, whether they use they, them, uh, he, him, they, uh, her. There's a, a kid in town that uses um, she, he. I'm like, okay. <laughs> like it makes it easier for me to not get it wrong. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um as long as you're, as long as you're trying and you're showing the effort, which should be fairly simple for most people to understand, showing effort um, is important in just about anything that you do. Yeah, I, I yes, yes, and yes, and I know that um, in cultures, right, like especially in the Filipino culture, in our language, we don't have um, pronouns. So it's really interesting because my parents always struggled with pronouns regardless. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. You guys don't have pronouns? Yeah. it's uh, it, We don't have like male or female pronouns in the Filipino language. Yeah. Or one of the few languages who don't have that. And so it's, it makes a lot of sense when my parents struggle using she, he, they, them um, pronouns. And so it just kind of, they just use whatever they want to use. <laughs> Okay. And I always just always have to remind my friends, like, oh, it's really difficult. Like, they're going to try and they're still going to mess it up. But just know they're trying. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I know, like, I'm also, you know, this is something, too, that I'd like for educators to keep in mind is that gender identity is very fluid, right? One day you could say that you go by they, them. And the next day you're like, actually, you know, I, I want to go back to she, her or he, him. And I think as educators, we we just, again, want to continue celebrating and supporting our students. And so if they want to be referred to a specific pronoun at that time, that's okay. That's not on us. And if you struggle with the pronouns, I always started out with just saying the child or the student's name all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That's my go-to, too. Um, if I'm struggling with the pronouns, then I'm just going to... I'm just going to say your name um, because that's, you know, simpler and it does less damage. Okay. So when you're, you're talking about students, especially when you're talking about uh, the ones going through, you know, their formative years and, you know, puberty and all of, all of that, everything that comes with that, they are more likely to be more fluid than adults are because they're still trying to figure it out. They're still navigating their way through that. So my first child came out as transgender and then um, they decided that they weren't transgender and then they decided that they were and then they decided that they weren't and um, they were also suicidal um, and they spent a, a great deal of time in a residential facility um, where they continue to, I'm transgender, no, I'm not. I'm transgender, no, I'm not. Um, and then at some point over the course of a few years, you know, we went from uh, using he, him pronouns to she, her, back to he, him, so on and so forth. Um, now we're at they, them pronouns, and they are non-binary and gay. So there you go. That's a whole journey in itself. It is. It is. But it took all of that. And a lot of the a lot of the issue that my child was struggling with is the 
social construct that gender is. If I feel like this, this must mean I'm a girl. But wait, now I feel like this, so this must mean I'm a boy. Um, I really want to wear skirts, so that must mean I'm a girl. And it took us years before we finally convinced him, you know, how about you just do you? Like, how, like if you want to wear a skirt, just put a skirt. It's clothes. How about you just do you? Wear whatever you want to wear and be who, whoever it is you are without feeling the need to define yourself by something. And that's when they were like, you know what? I'm gender fluid. I'm like, okay, cool. Yay! <laughs> Glad we got that figured out. <laughs> and if it changes, it's okay also. Um, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. I just, I just, I, I love that you created that space for your child, you know, and it is so difficult as far as just society, right? The societal expectations and how gender is a social construct. I know this is something that I've been toying with for a while is that like, what does non-binary mean? And do I want to explore that option? Do I want to explore that identity? Because I, I don't know, I, I've just been, I'm kind of like at the point where your child is as well of just like figuring out what my gender identity is. And I am so hesitant and so afraid to own this other identity because I don't want society to treat me as an outcast. Isn't that wild? And I'm 34. Yeah. And see, now my kid, uh, they're 21 now, and they, and we live in a small town. So we have to drive an hour to get to the closest Walmart. Oh, wow. It is so tiny. They, they are the bravest person I know. They um, will walk around town and these adorable, these, they're such, they're so cute, these cute outfits. They've got this one in particular that's my favorite where they they have these uh, leggings and they wear their ankle high boots and they've got this really pretty black skirt and then they have a, um, they'll put any shirt on. It could be anything, a tie-dye shirt, it could be a nice shirt, it could be one of their beat up, you know, play around the house all day shirts and, uh, and then this really pretty vest to go over it and they all just prance around town like that fearlessly. And they don't consider it fearless, but it is. It's fearless because so many people are so afraid to to just be who they are. And this child is just out there. They don't even know it. They don't even know how brave they are. Yeah. And that was something that just stuck out to me, too, is like you and I both are like, oh, my gosh, you're so brave at being able to express yourself however you want. And your child is just your 21-year-old kid <laughs> um, is essentially just saying, no, but this is who I am. Yes. You know, like this is who I am and this is how I want to show up. It actually has nothing to do with bravery. It has everything to do with who I am as a person I, yes. and how I want to express myself. And that's so commending and that's so beautiful to me. And so at one point I'll get there. I will get there as far, you know, and <laughs> I hope that everyone gets there to where they can authentically be themselves. And I think that that's really important. And so when we think about our students and we think about, you know, education itself and schools, like our students spend a lot of time at school. And so when we have students who are quote unquote out of the norm, 
right? Um, who we consider just not not the same as everyone else, right? Like, okay, there is this there is this student who likes to wear skirts and nail polish and all of that good stuff. How can we as educators ensure that we celebrate the identity as well as the expression of each individual student? And how can we also not necessarily prevent? Well, yeah, I would love to prevent it, right? But how can we as educators celebrate the students as well as make sure that they're not facing harassment and discrimination at school? Um, Well, I would think one of the easiest ways that an educator could celebrate each of the students would be by just making comments, you know, oh, those are great shoes. I love those. I love what you did with your hair today. You look fantastic. Um, I don't know if they can actually say that in school. <laughs> I don't know what educators can actually say in school. I did, Christy. <laughs> <laughs> but to acknowledge acknowledge the student the way that they've shown up that day, you know, and say something positive about them. You see them that... Uh, you think they're fantastic and you can convey that simply by, you know, telling that non-binary student that you uh, love the dress that they're wearing. My goodness, where did you get that? Um, Oh my gosh, you made that yourself. That's fantastic. (laughs) And you can do that with all of the students, um, every single one of them in, in whatever presents itself as they show up. And that's so simple. Like you said, right? Like, you're not breaking any laws or policies or anything like that. It's literally a compliment. You're just acknowledging their presence um, as they've shown up that day. Yeah, I know that I'm always looking for things that quote unquote stick out. And that's what I compliment is because I'm just, I mean, looking like me where I grew up, I was always the one who stuck out. And so it was really nice to be acknowledged. Um, and so I love the fact that you said, you know, just compliment it, not why are you wearing that? (laughs) But like, wow, where'd you get that? Like, that's a really dope outfit. You pull it off really nicely. And then as you're saying it out loud to the student, you're saying it in front of the other, the other students as well. You're conveying that this is not, you know, something to be used to degrade or demean. Like, look how beautiful this is. Um, So you're making a statement to the classroom as well that, you know, any kind of negative behavior is is not acceptable. Right. And you're modeling the expectations of creating a brave space for students, right, to be who they are. And I'm a firm believer, too, that if students can't show up as themselves, they're not going to learn. They're not actually going to show up. <laughs> that too. They may be in the classroom, but they're just not going to show up. Right. And if they feel like... At any moment, um, they may be harassed or bullied, um, and that's going to be not necessarily considered acceptable, but more along the lines of, well, if you didn't want, you know, someone saying that to you, why'd you dress like that? Which is, which is just crap. Um, I can't think of the right word. It, It is the, I feel like it is the responsibility of educators to create a positive learning environment for the students. And like the best way to do that is to do it with the students. And first, they have to be able to trust you to not reduce them as a human. 
Yeah. And I mean, as educators, we also have to kind of show up as ourselves too, you know, because yes, our students can see when you're being fake, like they know for a fact, like, no, Ms. D doesn't care about me at all. Like she pretends she cares, but not really. And so students really pick up on that. Um, and especially with everything that's happening with COVID, everything, you know, with um, just, just the world in itself. Well, and then you hear about what happened in Virginia yesterday. So you know the students are paying attention. You know that they're aware of uh, what some people are trying to do to the classroom. Right. Um, and, and even like my sister who's Gen Z, right, I admire her so much because they just embrace any differences and all differences and never question it. There is not a why it's like a, Oh, okay, cool. And then like, keep it moving. And I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, I, I have seen that myself too. I'm always telling people it is not my generation that is going to change the world. It is my children and my children's children, because I see it. I see how loving and accepting um, and embracing they are of, everyone like they just get it on a whole level that I never got when I was their age yeah and so quickly too you know it's kind of just like a oh you want to be more masculine presenting today go for it you want to wear yeah, pearl earrings and a pearl necklace as someone who's a masculine presenting person go for you know like they just mm -hmm. embrace it all. do you want to borrow my lipstick you know let's do your nails <laughs> Yes. Yeah. And yes. my and my sister loves doing makeup on her boyfriends. And so it's like and they're so down with it. They're just like, OK, cool. Like, go for it. And I'm just like, this is so great. So great. Uh, and so they're just, you know, the whole conversation of like clothing is not not there's no gender for clothes, uh, no gender for materials. Honestly, anyone can actually wear them however they want to. Um and so I think, again, like a compliment goes a long way from a teacher because, first of all, you're acknowledging it. Second of all, you're doing it in front of my peers um, and you're really genuine about it. Right. And yeah. so I think that's something that our listeners can do right away. Right. It's just kind of like being a little bit more observant and really being genuine because who doesn't like a compliment? Everyone loves compliments. <laughs> Everybody likes a compliment and it sets a tone. Um, maybe that child was coming into the classroom having had a bad day and that compliment could just completely change the way they're going to approach their class that day. Yes. And I completely agree with that. And I think this is also why I was always by the door when my students were coming in, because it was like the first thing that they see is me and whatever my first interaction with them is going to be how the it's class gonna is going to be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It'll set the tone. If you're glaring at everyone, they're going to shrink. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> and try to climb under their desk. <laughs> hey everyone, we have some great things coming up this week. We are partnering with Screencastify to bring a 30-minute webinar for all of you this upcoming Wednesday, October 12th at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Right after that, we have our monthly implementer meetup at 7 p.m. Eastern Time where you can brainstorm with other MCP educators all over the world. Registration links are provided in the show notes. One last thing, our first school year mentorship program is starting soon. So if you signed up, you'll be receiving emails connecting you with your mentors. We're so excited to see all the magic that you create. So 
I, I have a, a question for you, and I, I wonder if you have an, a, an answer for this one. What do you suggest for educators who want to support our queer students but don't have the support of the admin, parents, guardians, caregivers, and or other peers slash educators? Okay, well, first there is a, the Gay, Lesbian, Straight Educational Network. It's a glsen.org. And they offer a lot of resources when it comes to educators in any kind of environment and how to be supportive, how to show that support in various ways. It, it also offers a lot of training. I was talking to my sister, who is an educator down in Texas, and she was telling me that she actually has a contract that she and her students fill out together and they come up with the wording together. Um, basically how, like, how would you guys like to be treated? And they write all of this stuff down. How would you like someone to talk to you? How would you like someone to, you know, so on and so forth. And they put it all into the contract and then all of them sign it uh, and agree to abide by said contract. And that alone takes care of um, any kind of question of support because it is stating everyone is going to be, you know, respectful and afford dignity to the next person and so on and so forth, which I suppose is one way if you're living, if you're living in one of the states that seems to be very hostile towards the LGBTQ environment, or if you're living in a small town um, where the school is just not very interested in being supportive. The complimenting your students goes a long way without really having to create any conflict between you and the administration if you're not really wanting to do that. I really like that you pointed out GLSEN. I've heard great things about this organization. I've used it a couple of times as an educator as well, uh, even before I'd come out. And so it was really, I like that you mentioned that because I don't think that people know about it that much. And so thank you for saying that. And then something that made me think as well is, you know, when you're talking to, you said your sister, right? Yes. Who is an educator in Texas. And of course, Texas is a whole show right now. Yes. <laughs> um, yes, it is. And so when we're thinking about creating a contract, I think that's really powerful as well. And having students, inviting students in to create that contract and creating other um, or ways to really, truly respect one another. Right. I think that's really powerful. And and it made me think of my practice uh, when I was in the classroom. I have you know how back in the day that so gay was used in a really negative way. Yes. And so I had a poster that, you know, had so many other words to use than that's so gay. And because, you know, you and I have talked about how words have impact and that phrase in itself has really negative connotation. And so I had conversations with students about it and really pushed and challenged them to use other terms as opposed to just saying that's so gay. And I wish that I would have invited them in to create other words. I just kind of had other words listed out for them. But this was something that 
they looked at almost every day and they caught themselves, right? They'd be like, that's so, and then they would look at the poster and it'd be like, ridiculous. (laughs) Um, And it was really, it was probably one of my most impactful posters in the classroom. And because it provided them with other words to use, they didn't have to actually use that term or that phrase. And so I wish I would have created a contract with them, but I also I'm really happy that I had that poster for them just so that they had other words to use. And when you involve the students in in creating the basically the rules of the classroom, the environment that they're going to be learning in, in that classroom, when you invite the students to participate in that, they're more likely to abide by those rules, to be very aware of them and to be aware of people that are um know, violating those things, Um, which is, I mean, it, it just, it, it brings the, and all of the students, it brings the entire classroom in together into like one nice little circle. And I would think that if you were uh, transgender in a classroom like that, knowing that everyone had said, yes, we uh, agreed you know, with the whole, I want to be respected. So everyone wants to be respected. And this is how we are going to treat everyone because this is how I want to be treated. Um, I would think that that would make you feel more comfortable and more safe. And when you feel safe in the classroom, you are more likely to pay attention to what it is that you're supposed to be learning and actually get something from it instead of sitting there worrying about um, being hurt by someone. Yeah, now, now to reflect, um, back back in my teaching days, um, that's so funny that you said, you know, once students feel safe, they're willing to do anything and everything for you, right? And I, hands down, like, I'm really proud of the relationships that I've had with my students and my classes and just the fact that I've created a really inclusive space for all. And so literally I could tell them to do this one thing and they will all do it. And it would make no sense, but they're gonna be like, oh, Miss D wants this, so we're gonna do it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, huh, this is actually really beautiful. Like, you know, um, and it would just be the wildest request, and my students would just be so excited to do it. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> All parents want to know what your power is. I can't even get them to do the dishes. And to think that I could get like 25 middle schoolers to be like, oh, yeah, let's do it. I'm like, oh, man, I cannot wait to have my own kids. Yeah, that's when things change. Exactly. I'm going to be like, never mind. Yeah, they look at you like you're crazy. You want me to do what? No. Um, Not going to happen. And and I, this is what I tell our educators all the time is the power of relationships. I mean, hands down, we have to have deep relationships with our students or at least know who they are and sh- and show some interest in who they are because yes. we have to approach our students as human beings first and then yes. students next, right? Like, yes, we yes. would love for them to master all the skills that we're teaching them. Yes, we would love for them to be able to define and transfer the skills. At the same time, we also want them to be like emotionally aware as well as socially aware. So like the soft skills, right. And just being able to like manage their emotions as well as advocate for themselves so that they can continue creating a brave space for themselves as well. I think like 
you know, with our model, um, we talk about self-pace and blended learning and mastery-based learning, right? And so with self-pace, you really have to have those soft skills of managing your time wisely, knowing that like, hey, I'm not feeling well right now. I'm going to go take a break and then I'll come back and continue working. But being able to name and acknowledge those things are really, really impactful as well in someone's teaching and learning journey. Um, and so Christy, what are some inclusive teaching practices that educators can do today or people really when it comes to supporting and encouraging our queer students and queer communities? Um, I've struggled with this since this was first um, mentioned uh, as a question, even inclusive teaching practices. Um, because for me, like with my children, I was sending them to a school. They were going to be gone, you know, uh, eight hours, seven hours a day. And I was entrusting them with a bunch of other adults to keep them safe and help them to be helpful to them. For me, it seems like that should, like being inclusive should be an automatic thing. This should not be a difficult thing. Um, and that LGBTQ students are no different from uh, non-LGBTQ students. They, they are all the same. They should all be treated with the same dignity and respect. Um, I, don't, I didn't send my children to school to validate the teacher. And I didn't send my children to school to make the teacher feel better about themselves. And I certainly didn't send my children to school so that the teacher could talk about uh, their own personal beliefs and degrade my children in the process. Um, they went there to learn, and part of the part of learning is the environment. You're not gonna, <laughs> you're just not gonna learn if you if you're too busy being afraid, and if you're afraid of the authority figure in the classroom, that's like that's it. That's it seems like inclusivity should just be an automatic part of it. Like everything you do in the classroom should just automatically be inclusive. So teaching practices, I've just really kind of struggled with this one. Like, are you horrible to, to your students? If you are, maybe you shouldn't be teaching. If you are degrading children, this is probably not the line of work for you. If you are arguing with children about who they are, you are crossing a line that um, is not yours to cross. You have no business being there. That is not your place. Yeah. Yeah. And I can I can see that, right? Because being horrible and being degrading, I think sometimes some people have no idea that they're being horrible and degrading. And sometimes... Sometimes I think that they are, but other times I think that they feel justified. I had a science teacher, a science teacher, um, get into an argument with my transgender child about how uh, there is no such thing as being transgender, that you are either a boy or a girl, and that is it, and they don't get to change it. And I was so furious like, just so, like, I'm going to jail tonight, furious. <laughs> I know, because we live in a small town. I know where she lives. <laughs> just so furious. How 
dare she? That is not her conversation to have. That is not for her to say. My kid went and told her who they were, and it was her job to simply say, okay. And it's, you know, we're laughing about it right now, but honestly, like that is so infuriating, like you said. At that time, I was so angry, just so, how dare this person speak to my child in such a way? It was almost like, goodness, it was almost like uh, if you're... If you're an atheist and uh, you have a an authority figure in the school preaching Islam, <laughs> preaching it, not teaching it, you know, it's not part of a religious study. That's absurd to even think that that's something that would happen. Like that would obviously be not okay. It's obviously not okay for for an authority figure to decide to tell you know, someone's child that they are wrong about who they are. It's not their place and it's not their business. Yeah. I mean, even if you think about it, right, like Christianity is such a huge part of this country. And so a lot of people are always trying to like breathe down your neck about Christianity as well. And that's a, yes. a whole new, that, that's a whole that's other a whole thing. Other podcast. <laughs> yeah. We can that's talk about that in another episode. <laughs> yep. um, yeah. And I, you know, and that's the thing. I think sometimes, um, like you said, people are intentionally doing the horrible and degrading things. Um, and then there are some who just like have no idea. They feel like they're being righteous. Oh, I need to, uh, I need to correct you because you're mistaken. Right. And it's like, well, okay, you can have those beliefs. You can, you can keep them to yourself. <laughs> like, honestly. Because the only thing you're doing is causing harm at this point. You are only harming. You're not you're not teaching anything good. You are teaching this child to not trust you. You are teaching this child that you are a hostile person. You are teaching this child to avoid you. You're you're not going to have the outcome that you want. You're going to end up with a child that curls up into a little ball whenever they come into your classroom. And that's not a healthy learning environment. Yeah. And then you think about like, those are just words too, right? And those words, again, have impact. Um, And especially when they're coming from supposedly a trusted adult, that hurts even more so than anything. I know, you know, when I when I came out, um, I had this in my head because I was in South Georgia at the time. I had it in my head that I can be gay and Catholic at the same time. And when I tell you, I used to go to confession every week just so that I can like, not necessarily pray the gay away, but like know that God is forgiving me for my sins or whatnot. The amount of hateful words that came out of priests was not okay. Like it was, it till this day, I cry about it because it's just so hurtful. And those are just words, right? Like nobody laid a hand on me, but those are words that, they were really just words cut deep. Um, and it was like, I'm looking for, I don't know, reassurance that I'm still loved. And then yet you're over here telling me that I'm just an awful person because of who I love. And whew. we received a letter from, um, we received a letter from my in-laws church from their pastor telling us that uh, it was, I don't know, three, four pages long telling us that our child was going to go to hell. (laughs) Basically, I can sum it all up into just those few words. Our child was going to go to hell unless we did something. 
because they were transgender and um, just words, just words on a piece of paper. Uh, but the amount of pain that it caused and the, the anger when my, when my daughter passed, we had people telling us that she was going to go to hell. Um, and not, you know, just because she had chosen to end her life, but because she was transgender, that she was going to go to hell and just words. But, um, those words are part of the reason why my daughter took her life because of the people that would say those things. And there are people that will say those things. As someone who is a domestic violence survivor, um, I would always say, and, and I still say it today, I would rather someone break my arm because that's something that I can show you. Look, this is where it hurts. And this is why it hurts. And you can see it and it's real. It's really there. And you can see that it, it is very painful. I would rather someone break my arm than say cruel things to me even inadvertently, because they can't see that. They can't see the damage that they just did. But it is just as real as that broken arm. Wow. It's so true. That's so true. Because, you know, you can, like you said, you can show that broken arm, but you cannot show a broken identity or a broken heart. And if someone chooses not to believe that you've been damaged on the inside, then they're just not going to believe that you've been hurt. And that, oh, <laughs> That's probably worse. <laughs> yeah, because you're always having to try to justify that, like, no, this thing actually hurts, you know, and yeah, yeah. And that's a horrible experience to go through as an adult. Um, we should not be putting our children through that as well. Definitely not. And, you know, we're talking about how words have impact, something that I've changed in my vocabulary uh, using. So I've always taught I've always told educators as people that I've worked with, you know, using gender neutral terms, not assuming anyone's gender is really important as well. And so when we think about gender neutral terms, I know that in some classrooms, you know, they do boys and girls all the time and. I would really challenge your educators to use terms like, hey, team, hey, class, students. Um, so there's not a push for one, the binary, essentially. Mm -hmm. Hey, right? little humans. Yes. Hey, little humans. <laughs> and this is also something that you can have a conversation with your class about, right? Like, hey, what would you all refer? Uh, what would you all like for me to refer to you as? Right. And that was kind of something that I did. And when I was shifting my words that I use, I also told my students, hey, I really want to stop using guys. I really want to stop using um, gender terms. And so my students caught me every time, you know, and they said, Misty, you did it. And I would shift it right away. Right. But it was nice yeah. to be held accountable for that. And so now I rarely use guys. Right. Like, you know, when we say like, hey, guys, um, and it's just such a part of our language usage um, that people really don't think about. Right. Um, but for me, it rose me the wrong way when like someone calls, someone says, Hey guys. And I'm like, but I'm not a guy. And I know that this is like a terminology that's like culturally um, appropriate. But for me, as someone in the LGBTQ plus community, I guess I'm like, mm, I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, and so that's something, right? Like I encourage our educators to use gender neutral terms. Um, I would also say not assuming someone's gender, right? If you have no idea, um, if they have not disclosed to you pronouns, I would just continue using they, them pronouns. And I know as an English teacher, that was really hard for me, really, really hard. But now I have embraced it because who am I to say like, no, that's not going to work. Right. And so, uh, just using they, them pronouns for people that you have no idea. Um, and again, like ask, you don't want to ask for pronouns per se. I would always just say, hi, my name is Tony Rose, Deanna, and you know, she, they pronouns. So that, that space is created for them to share their pronouns if they want. And again, you can always just use their name. if Right. Right. If nothing else. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so, um, and you know, just knowing in your head, just start like thinking about how pronouns can change. They can change. It's okay to change. They can. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay for them to change. It really is. It may, you know, it may require some work internally in our heads to make those changes and that's okay. That's okay. Yes, it is okay. It is okay to be uncomfortable. It's how you learn by allowing yourself to be uncomfortable and trying to understand what the situation is. And changing pronouns can be confusing. It can be confusing for those outside of it, especially like, I want to say, especially like people my age, because I know the younger generation, they they just don't have that kind of problem. I haven't noticed them have that kind of problem. Um, but gender has been so ingrained in me since I was a child that it is a constant struggle. It is like constant work on my part. I'm constantly learning and trying to be better all the time. And it takes a very conscious effort to do that. Yeah. Um, and another thing, too, that I wanted to challenge our listeners and educators is that, you know, sometimes we joke around with our students and say, like, "Ooh, who are you into? Who's, you know, are you into that little girl or little boy? And that's kind of like a unintentional push for hetero, because um, I know growing up, my family, my teachers, everyone would be like, oh, who's that little boy? Like, which little boy do you like now? And I think that definitely had an impact for when I came out. I came out so late in my, cause in my head, that was all I could be was a hetero, heterosexual for our listeners who had no idea. And, um, and so I think, you know, if we are playing around, just be like, oh, which one are you interested in? Or is there one, you know, like which student are you interested in? So there's not like a gender push for it, if that makes sense. Um, but if you're not that educator who plays around like that, that's also okay. I was the one because, you know, middle school, middle school is hectic. <laughs> yeah. And it's all about like who they like and who they don't like. And so I always yes. made sure. It's to all the say, drama. Right. All the drama. And this is why I love middle school because I, I love, I thrive in drama. <laughs> it's like and, own soap opera. Yes. And so I always just you know, talk to my students like, oh, which student are you talking about? Which one do you have an eye on? And so it was never an assumption that they would be into uh, opposite sex or same sex or whatever. It was just kind of like allowing them to tell me and not pushing for one or the other. Yes. Just allow them to be whoever it is that they are. Yes. I made that mistake with, uh, with Haley before she had come out as transgender she was, uh, I don't know, 13, 14 years old. And we'd noticed that unlike her siblings, she 
was showing no interest in anyone at all in any way. And so out of curiosity, one day I said, hey, are there any girls in your class that you're interested in? And she just kind of looked at me and I said, uh, or boys, because my other child had already come out as transgender. So I'm still in the learning process. So when she just kind of looked at me, I said, or boys, and she's still looking at me. And I said, or, or no one. I mean, you don't have to be interested in anyone. You know, that's like it's perfectly okay too. You know, just, you know, just, I'm just curious. Who's your mom? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and she changed the subject on me. So, <laughs> so it wasn't my business. <laughs> and our students typically like shut us down when they don't want to talk about it. And so there's no, Oh yeah. She just sat there and stared at me. Yeah. There's no so, need to push like, for it. Um, and another thing too, to keep in mind is, you know, the whole con- misconceptions of what a, f- a girl or a boy should be or should not be doing. I think, you know, the whole statement of like, oh, you're acting like one of those little boys or, you know, um, oh, that's very girly of you or whatever. Like, I feel like those phrases can we can do without, especially with the whole like, oh, you throw like a girl. OK, like, well, girls can throw really well then. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and so thinking about like the roles that you have in the classroom as well, making sure that you're not just always consistently asking your female students to do things for you. Um, that's also really important. So just kind of, you know, uh, looking at our implicit biases and really thinking about what assumptions we have for our gender roles, really. Well, and those assumptions about gender roles can be very demeaning to, to everybody, uh, for example, you throw like a girl. What what does that mean exactly? Like, what are you trying to say about girls? <laughs> like, it's it's rude and it's demeaning, um, and it's not just rude and demeaning to um, anyone that identifies as a girl. It's rude and demeaning to anyone that identifies as a boy who maybe doesn't throw so well. Does this mean that I'm not actually a boy? I mean, there's just so much in there. Yeah. There's so much to unpack unpack with a statement like that. (laughs) So much. I mean, even like growing up, my mom would always say, act like a lady. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. (laughs) Yeah, what does that mean? I don't know what that means. Um, so yeah, definitely those phrases, um, that kind of stamps like the gender roles definitely start questioning why those phrases are coming out. And so thinking about, again, just our misconceptions and our assumptions about gender roles. Um, and so I think we've like said it multiple times, but we'll say it again, Christy, if our educators only take, only took away one message from today, what would you hope that would be? I hope that it would be um, that the LGBTQ students are no different from the rest of the students. They're all exactly equally the same and equally deserving of dignity and support and positive encouragement all of them are, and they shouldn't be treated different or looked down upon simply because of who they are. That is, um, 
just it's not a safe environment it's not a good environment for learning and if your purpose is to teach then all of the students should be treated the same i love that um and you're absolutely correct right like our lgbtq plus students they're not different than any of our regular quote-unquote students right they're not i i hope that there's a day when uh we're no longer even using the LGBTQ community um, because <laughs> it's just unnecessary to even mention it because everyone is treated with decency. Yeah, I mean, I always, my, my friends and I, um, all my queer friends and I are always talking about like, wouldn't it be nice that we no longer have to come out? We just are. You just are. Like as a heterosexual uh, cisgender woman, I never had to come out. I just was. And hopefully one day, hopefully sooner rather than later, that's the same for everybody. And until then, all we can do is continue to strive forward in our efforts to create those safe spaces. Um, I talk to everyone that I come across, and that's a lot of people. I work at a gas station. <laughs> um so I come across a lot of people and I end up talking to like more people than I ever thought would be possible about the LGBTQ community and the issues within it and uh, the responsibility of the straight community to be more involved and to be more open and to be louder for them um, on their behalf. And th that's what I continue. That's what I plan to continue to do in the future as well, to be louder and more vocal and more involved. And I, I love that. I think you said it, right? Like just having conversations, because again, the more we talk about this, the more uncomfortable we'll feel, but then it gets us to where we're comfortable talking about it. And then actually, um, having some actionable steps. So I think the first step is definitely talking about it. I think, you know, our listeners and educators who are now well-versed in the LGBTQ plus community, because they've just never, um, they're not directly affected by, like you said earlier, I think like a quick Google search would be really great. <laughs> um, self, uh, learning is also important. Um, definitely research, 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 and then have a conversation. Cause you know, it, this also goes with, um, conversations about race, right? We don't want to just turn to our people of color to have all the questions. Like we also need to find our own, answers and do our own research and then have those conversations. So I really encourage our listeners or educators to really do the research. GLSEN is a really good resource to start with if you would like. And there's definitely a lot more out there because I guarantee you there's a queer somebody around your, uh, around your community. <laughs> oh yeah, for certain. It's important to know the history. Um, if you were going to start anywhere and trying to understand the LGBTQ issues, it would be, you would, you would really need to start with the history of, um, to really shed some light on it. A lot of people think that this is a brand new thing. It is not. Um, a lot of people think that, um, 
the LGBTQ community wants special rights or extra rights, but they're really only asking for equal rights. Um, they're not actually asking for anything that uh, straight people don't already enjoy. They're just asking to be able to enjoy that themselves. And currently they can't because uh, prejudices, discrimination um, are okay in some places. People get fired all the time for being members of the LGBTQ community. It's hard to get a job, hold a job, um, if you're a member of that community, depending on where you live. And that's just unacceptable. My first uh, teaching assignment in South Georgia, I definitely could not be out. There's no way that I could talk about my girlfriend. So it was really sad because everybody else was talking about their husbands and wives. And you just had to stand there silently mm -hmm. or else you'd be fired. Yes. Yep. So it's not special rights or extra rights. It's saying, hey, I'd like to be able to keep my job regardless of how I identify. Yes, that's, I mean, uh, I feel like you and I could continue having conversations. You've definitely opened up a lot for me um, and given me a different perspective, especially from a caretaker slash parent perspective. And so, um, and, you know, just for our listeners, these, this is a lot. This is a lot to digest and process. And I really hope that you take the time to process and really learn about our LGBTQ plus history, as well as how to better support our students who show up in your classroom every single day um, the best way that they can. With that being said, thank you so much, Christy. This was, again, so enlightening. And I really, really, really appreciate you sharing your experiences and your expertise and just being vulnerable with us. And so listeners, remember, you can always email us at podcast at modernclassrooms.org. And you can find the show notes for this episode at podcast.modernclassrooms.org slash 109. We'll have this episode's recap and transcript uploaded to the Modern Classrooms blog on Friday. So be sure to check there or check back in the show notes for this episode if you'd like to access those. Thank you all for listening. Have a great week and we'll be back next Sunday. Thank you so much for listening. You can find links to topics and tools we discussed in our show notes for this episode. And remember, you can learn more about our work at www.modernclassrooms.org and you can learn the essentials of our model through our free course at learn.modernclassrooms.org. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Modern Class Proj, that's P-R-O-J. We are so appreciative of all you do for students in schools. Have a great week, and we'll be back next Sunday with another episode of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Modern Classrooms.